Rachel Weiss, Rachel Weiss. Stop there. I don't think we have oh. even the Weird Al permission to go in for <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein are going to have our heads on a pike. <laughs> Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. And my name is Damon. Hello. This is a movie from our young teenhood, or not even late, young teenhood, late, late teenhood. teenhood. Uh, We're very much pubescent, post-pubescent. We're talking about cases. Speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> my testicles were still firmly tucked into my body cavity. Uh, I'm like an F-18. I like to just, when I'm moving fast, I like to tuck them up. You know? Oh, yeah. Aerodynamics. We're talking about 1999's Brendan Fraser's Rachel Weiss's The Mummy. Do you have particular mo- memories associated with this movie? Uh, thank so you we for were asking. Like 17, 18 when this came out, right? 17. Yeah. I, I remember it being one of the, like the summer before I went off to college. That may not be tree, true, but it feels true. Doesn't it feel true? <laughs> um, and isn't that what really matters? Your Honor. I do remember seeing this movie. I remember it being, I mean, it wasn't like a watershed moment like Jurassic Park or something, but I remember all the other youths being excited to see this. It may have been like one of the first movies of the summer. And so it was like when you're, I feel like when you're in school, like that first big summer blockbuster is like the telltale sign of like, Mm, we're going to get out of here. We're all going to be staying up late and watching The Mummy at at the Cineplex. With all our fourth form chums, and then I head had to the malt shop. I had few friends. I should I should note. <laughs> um, I'm gonna get uh, a how malt. things have changed. A oh. chocolate phosphate for me and my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like there was like a feeling of uh, somewhat excitement about this movie. It was also like a big CGI movie when we were still still learning the ropes a little bit, still trying yeah. to figure things out, feel our way around. <laughs> Speaking of. Barely post-pubescent. CGI <laughs> was in its early post-pubescence. Yeah. Little gangly. Its legs were longer than its arms. It tripped a lot. <laughs> hair where there wasn't hair before. That didn't I, happen until Monsters, Inc., though, technically. That's, that's true. I actually don't think I saw this when it came out, like, in the theater. And I remember seeing and thinking it looked stupid <laughs> and was not interested in it. You got and a then, good eye. I'm not going to lie to you. And then I dated a a girl in when i was in college we were we were long distance relationship and this was her favorite movie or one of her favorite movies and so i don't know if you went through this in in the college thing of like i have to show you this this you know i've never seen that i mean people are still like that but i think in college it gets really bad because you're like i am notoriously bad i am yeah I, i could be brought up on war crimes for the number of times i was like hey guys, let's all sit around and watch Silence of the Lambs, because well, Bethany's yeah. never seen it at least three times, so let's just watch <laughs> it again. Well, I think it's, you know, you start to attach your personality to these things, and so you become the, you know what I mean, and that, like we talked about with Lord of the Rings, you're the Lord of the Rings guy, because, yeah, and so she wasn't, like, crazy about it. She didn't have, she didn't, like, dress up like Brendan Fraser and go adventuring or anything, but, like, True, but she, The Mummy being your favorite movie? Sounds crazy to me. Well, and, you know, we ended up not having a lot of... We we did not agree on what was high art on, in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it was not, uh, 
like that big of a bone of contention, but it was definitely like, I remember I watched it with her and then was like, I still think this is stupid. Now, in retrospect, will I think that my young self was too cynical? Maybe it'll be a fun romp, Damon. You know, sometimes you got to let the magic of the movies wash over you. And that's what the mummy's all about. When if there's one person who can just help me suspend my disbelief, it's Brendan Fraser. Mm, yes. We were riding a, a wave with him at the time. Of course, were we? Uh, well, yeah, we got you got your. Uh, he was still Encino, on that mid nineties wave. You got and those then... Encino men. You've got those schools mm. that are mm-hmm. tied. Surely there was another thing in there that we we were liking him for. George of the Jungle. That's. I mean, it's not a with big, honors. It's not a chapter heading in my um, latent <laughs> homosexuality, but it's definitely okay. like a footnote. Like watching George of the Jungle after we rented it from that weird Christian video store, <laughs> watching with my parents and being like, I don't know if I want to watch this with my They didn't parents. have porn, but they did have George of the Jungle. <laughs> they had George of the Jungle and they had Men's Health Magazine. The, other, the only other thing I remember about this movie is that I found Rachel Weisz's eyebrows offensive beyond belief really they are so atrocious and she's kind of an elaine bennis in that she went from having the absolute worst eyebrows in in hollywood history to having some of the best eyebrows now okay all right the the connection to to elaine by the way is that elaine was voted worst hair on tv and then she switched like within two seasons and had the best hair on tv that was a very specific reference that only an audience of me would understand (laughs) um people that are into both seinfeld and (laughs) people magazine or whatever the the fuck that came from eyebrow plucking but her eyebrows i mean there's part of me that like likes that they i mean this movie is set in the 1920s and women were obliterating their eyebrows uh, off of their skulls uh, at the time. So there is part of me that's like, well, they really um, stuck to the verisimilitude of the 1920s in this action-adventure fantasy movie about a mummy attacking Egypt. But, so did she, like, basically shave them off and draw them back on in this movie? It, I don't, I don't remember her way. eyebrows. I mean, surely you remember just the, the nadir in eyebrow science that was the 2000s where... Uh, both women and gay men were just ripping them off as much as they possibly could. And sometimes... Uh, Gotta be honest, I missed most of the I don't know what you're the, talking about. The girls and the boys who were a little bit more hirsute, you would mm-hmm, see sort of sure. a shadow of an eyebrow that was still there, like that had been plucked to oblivion. I mean, they would just have like the thinnest of parentheses over their eyes. It was obscene. Like when someone who has like, you know, who's... Five o'clock shadow. Yeah, who, who's five o'clock shadow pops in really quickly. They, no matter what, how much they shave, there's still like a gray, like Homer you get Simpson the Homer Simpson, thing. Fred yeah. Flintstone thing. But yeah, like that, but imagine that eyebrows. in <laughs> on, the, on the, the ridge of your skull here. Um, it's not a good look. As the owner of two uh, magnificent caterpillars, I can say <laughs> I actually didn't notice that. Well, you I, will now. I, Tyler, I'm uh, sure Tyler I'll notice nothing say, else. Tyler does say that I am a little too obsessed with eyebrows and I will criticize eyebrows beyond belief. Yeah. Um, and Jealousy. that's not true. That, that, wait, <laughs> that, no, wait, that's very much true. Uh, I will, I am very picky about eyebrows. LT, friend of the pod, um, she texted me the other day about Bo Burnham and she, she, first off, she said he was hot, which I thought was odd. But I said that his... Uh, Didn't watch that new special yet, huh? His eyebrows are too far apart. He shaves. He looks like he takes a razor and just goes straight down. Mm. And so his eyebrows look like they're, they're like two lovers reaching for each other, but the train's already leaving the station. They look exactly a Gillette apart. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) 
So the mummy, this is not the one where the rock is in. That's the, that's the second one, right? Where you will not the see any, the rock, you will not see any Dwayne Johnsons in this. Because uh, I, I want to talk about that eventually too, because that I remember that CG, even in, I think the trailer, you're like, what are we doing here? But this one is the one where it, we, at one point we do get like the massive face in like the sandstorm, right? Yeah. I think, I think that, that is the where big the, image that they used in all okay. the marketing. I don't remember that being especially good or bad, so I guess we'll just have to see. I think that like sort of texture stuff was the, the strength of CGI at the time, but it right. was the, uh, well, we'll just have to see. You know, I don't want to get into it too much. Oh, also, yeah. there is a fun connection to Steel Magnolias in that okay. uh, the guy who plays Daryl Hannah's uh, husband, okay, Bobbert, is in this movie as the shady Egyptian who steals everything. Even saying that made me want to take a bath. Um, let me find that character actor's name. Please. You know, the guy with the sunken eyes. Are you going to use uh, Duck, Duck, Go? going to use uh, Bing? What are you going to use here? I'm, I'm going to mostly use Lycos, but thank you. Dog Ooh, Brendan Fraser. What happened? Uh, Kevin J. O'Connor plays okay. uh okay. Benny but he he was Daryl Hannah's uh boyfriend slash husband slash baby daddy in Steel Magnolias. Is this the one that got the like the British guy too? That uh there, there is a British guy in this. He's Rachel Vice's brother, I think, in the movie. Okay. All right. What's the deal with Rachel Vice and uh there's some video that became a meme, right? Of her like was it like her and Catherine Hahn having just a magnetic moment? At like a round yeah. table or there something. Was sort of I, I vaguely a, remember that. There was a meme going around uh, lesbian Twitter, I believe, for a while. <laughs> of just you could see uh, Catherine Hahn just sort of uh, looking at Rachel Vice. They were in an interview together. I don't know if it was like a, just a panel show, like a or Vanity what, Fair, but round one of those things where like let's get a cadre of actors together and talk about how how rough it is to act or great it is to <laughs> act or whatever the the vibe of the moment is, and you could just see Catherine Hahn just. Looking at Rachel with a, a sense of longing, or maybe we projected that onto her, but it felt that way. It has a it has a gay partner though, where Taron Edgerton and Hugh Jackman were doing a uh, an interview for some movie that no one saw. Um, and Taron Edgerton, who's like I don't know, from the looks of things, he looks like he's four foot ten. Um, he's looking up uh, very adoringly at Hugh Jackman, and uh, so that's uh, that's the pairing there. Oh, you want to get a bookend for your meme library? That's that's it. Please, please. And uh, once again, I, this has been DJ and Damon describe memes uh, <laughs> through the magic of audio. So describe uh, <laughs> animated gifs. We are going to watch the Mummy. Watch along with us. We'll be right back. You've made it this far into the episode. You probably. You, you you tolerate Damon, but you like me. If you want to support what I'm doing, and you want to support general general tolerance of Damon. Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. I don't. He doesn't see a dime of this. Just so you guys know, there's a fat reserve of cash that only I can access. <laughs> And uh, you can you can, add, you can add to it. Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. <laughs> Fine enough. It's my it's my treasure trove that I will be buried with, like the pharaohs of old. Now see you tied it into the episode. That's yes. what I like about it. Yeah. 
Imhotep. 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 I like a pep rally. Did that sound like you were chanting with me, or did it because you were like a half second behind? I don't have the best beat in the world, so, you know, and every time I thought it was the last time, and then you would do one more, so then I'd try and hop in, and it happened like three times in succession where I kept trying to hop in on what, what I thought was the last one. I can't tell uh, if if it's a computer delay or if you have absolutely no sense of rhythm. <laughs> you, let's go with computer delay. A uh, little column A. <laughs> We're back. We watched The Mummy, or El Mummy, in Spanish. Um <laughs> Do you want to? I, I think I think I want to recap this. Can I recap? Ooh, it? look at you hoarding all the mummy straps. Go on. Uh, there's this. Uh, we're in ancient uh, Egyptian times. There's mm-hmm. this uh, high priest Imhotep. He's just trying to get his swerve on. He's just trying to get his, his groove on. on. Okay. He's trying to get. He's trying to get his groove on with the uh, the pharaoh's lady. What's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. The pharaoh finds out. Uh, he has Imhotep buried alive with scarab beetles, which gives him powers for reasons. And thousands of years later, we fast forward to uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss uh, discovering the cursed mummy. And then he attacks them because he wants to bring his beloved back from the dead and he needs uh, Rachel's body or something. It's a classic uh, Vin- Dracula situation. You just find yeah. the nearest girl who has a rough approximation to the girl you lost and just sort of like glom onto her. What are you about? Girls uh, love that. What are you about? Five hands tall? Yeah. They're about the same. <laughs> what are you, a solid cubit? Uh, the mummy wreaks havoc for a while, but eventually is defeated and, and sent into the uh, nether world. Uh, never to return again, I'm sure, in the next movie. So probably a different mummy. Yeah. But you know what? The mummy may have not uh may have been uh separated from his love for all eternity, but you know who wasn't? Brendan and Rachel. They get together at the end. Oh, thank God the two most attractive people in the movie got together. Actually the most attractive woman in the movie, and then the second most attractive man in the movie. I kind of like that uh, guy who had the, uh, you know, the Arabic on his. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. The guy with the glasses is all right, but the guy with the Arabic on under his eyes, like a, like, you know, like a football player. Yeah. He's all right. He had a thick but, head of hair, a solid head of hair. The sun is really bright. You want to you keep it from reflecting off of your cheek mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're trying to catch a baseball. That's mainly <laughs> right. what that's for. And sometimes yeah. you'll write a Bible verse in there for reasons. Yeah. I like mean, we don't whatever. like we fucking don't know John three sixteen at this point Tim Tebow get out of here who do you think you're winning over at this point yeah that's uh, plus God. like do some work why do I have to go to the reference library and look it up John three sixteen that's uh, uh, Job getting smote with boils right that's um uh, no that's ground control to Major Tom I think oh, okay. John okay. three sixteen. I have a I, I have a question at the root of the premise of this movie, and maybe you can help me out. Um, did ancient Egypt, when someone committed a crime, did they ever think of just killing them? Why? Also, why? Rather than giving them magical powers to come <laughs> yeah. back 3,000 years later? They seem to know this This would just happen, that there would be off. consequences. But, like, I kind of understand the, the torturing, like the... I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm I can into get it. Torturing? No, I get it. No, I'm, I'm not saying I support it. I'm just saying I understand the motivations behind it. They're like, this guy fucked up so bad. We're gonna bury him alive with scarab beetles that are gonna eat him from the inside out. Okay, that is a very, a very mean punishment. 
pro, um, so DJ is pro enhanced interrogation techniques. Continue, hey man, DJ. It, if it works, it works. Put a boot up your ass. Ugh. You know? It's oh, the it does Egyptian it. way. It doesn't work, you say? Oh, or do, <laughs> well, let me let me follow that up with a question. Or does it? Uh, studies show actually it doesn't. It, it definitively doesn't. So, <laughs> does it though? Uh, um, again, I have to refer to those previous <laughs> studies and some subsequent studies uh, that it actually doesn't work. I'm just gonna keep punching this guy. So that I understand that part of it. What I don't understand is how how. It gives him magic powers, but whatever. It's a movie. Okay, Howl is not important. But then also, why? Like, why <laughs> give this this? You're like person... a journalist. You're asking the five important <laughs> questions. Who First of Imhotep? And how do you spell that, Mr. Imhotep? Oh, you're sort of creating a sandstorm? Okay. I'll come back to that question. Uh, how magic? Okay, fine. Why, though, is where the, my sticking that's, point. That's, that's what I'm stuck I, on. Also, the in, rubber meets the road. Back to how is that how scarab beetles work? <laughs> because I don't think it is. I'm they not saying they hibernate won't. on pieces of gold, I guess, for thousands yeah. of years, and then they'll crawl under your skin. Yeah, that was pretty gross. They kind of look like when Bugs Bunny was traveling somewhere. You know, he had the, the little uh, <laughs> the little trail, and then you should know, have taken a lesson at Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah, that's what those scarab beetles are thinking. Going rewinding a little bit, the very beginning we get like a a bustling ancient um, Thebes, which I thought was actually really cool because it was they like you can tell it was like they spent a lot of time you and money kind of like in the setting ancient up a, Egypt part. Yes, yeah. yeah, they set it up like you know this is what it would what it was like. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how accurate it was, but you know everything's like shiny and and shimmering, and there's people all around, and there's you know it's all very colorful, and I thought it that did, was really cool. It definitely looked like a cutscene from Civilization Five. Uh, yes, available on Apple iOS and uh, Microsoft <laughs> products. Um, it, it had that thing of being. I mean, we'll get to the CGI, I'm sure, uh, copiously in this movie. This is probably the best example they of use CGI. Any, uh, in it. C- CGI you in know, the- it's hard to, it feels like a lot of in camera techniques here on yeah. the mummy, uh, parentheses 99. A lot of just down to earth, a lot of grounded. Uh, just kind of breeze right by work. it, didn't even see it. You know, the, the most, the best special effects, TJ, your imagination. Oh, that's what I always say. Yeah, yeah. That's why they don't show the mummy until like an hour and a half into the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, there were a lot of mechanical problems with the mummy, so right. they, they couldn't really get him to work until uh, Roy Schreider uh, was out on that boat. <laughs> we're gonna need a we're gonna need a bigger sarcophagus. sarcophagus? <laughs> I like that we get right into the messy Thebes drama. Like we're like, there's like all autumn, like immediately a soap opera. Like these two, these two hotties are in love. But it's, uh, you know, so they're star-crossed lovers because he's the high priest who I guess has, he did he already kind of have magical powers? I feel like they didn't show him doing anything magical, but it's kind of yeah in, inferred the, that he had some sort of sorcery thing going well, on. Well, yeah, we don't really see him do anything except, you know, uh, multiply uh, stab the pharaoh in the back, literally and, and figuratively. Um, we don't, I don't know if he actually has magical powers or if that's bestowed to him in some cruel joke of the afterlife. But yeah, he seems to be some sort of priest and he has his, well, he, what is he, uh, what is he referred to as? He has priests under him who, uh, you know, do he's his high, bidding. He's the high priest, right? Oh, okay. That's how it works. I, I think so. Mm-hmm. And then... Assistant at, vice priest. And then 
the pharaoh has is it his wife no it's his mistress they refer to his her mis- as his, his like mistress. favorite mistress that no one no man can touch and that she's and painted I guess all they, over yeah yeah and i don't know if they were just trying to be cute or if he actually paints her so he can keep track of who's touching her i don't know it worked either way yeah good good on you pharaoh you're a bit sex negative but good on you you have a goal, and you uh, you uh, you have creative means of uh, attaining it. What I like about this, another thing I like about this movie, is that it's a realistic interpretation of gun use and gun ownership. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> because whenever you run out of bullets, um, this was in the 1920s, and this is pretty accurate to the era. You had to just throw the guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that gun's spent. You got to get a whole yeah. new gun. Yeah, this movie. Uh, I can't tell if it's NRA porn or an NRA worst nightmare <laughs> just due to the fact that at one point I was surprised that no one just opened a can of beans with a gun at any point. There was a, there's a scene later in the, in the movie where there's a mirror tilted in the wrong direction and Brendan Fraser shoots it shoots so that it. it tilts in the correct direction. And I'm like, okay, movie, this is getting a little, a little out of control to the point where I was getting a little bit into the guns, how just absolutely. <laughs> ludicrous like this director i wait i want to look up the director's name because i steven summers there are at least 600 shots in this movie of people (laughs) rounding a corner and immediately drawing at least two guns on whoever's on the other side of the corner it happens over and over and over again and there i almost appreciated it because there was a scene when they do it where they're walking into a library and they immediately draw guns when they turn a corner and someone says, do you want to ask us what we're doing here or do you just want to shoot us? And I was like, I'm <laughs> glad someone said something. Yeah. Because when you get startled by someone around the corner, you just go, <gasps> you don't immediately draw guns on them. Or do I don't. You're, well, you're not a very good treasure hunter. What is his arc- job? T- what the fuck is Brendan Fraser's job title here? He's not Indiana he, Jones. He's a ne'er-do-well. Yeah, he is a kind of mercenary treasure hunter. Because what army was he fighting for in the beginning? DJ, I, these are all great questions. Uh, the movie can't get he's into an American. It right now. Yeah, he's an American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's shooting um, copious amounts of brown people. The opening scene. Do. I mean, not the opening scene, but the first scene in the. Uh, Modern, Modern times, times uh, in 1923, I think is the, the, the first scene after the, the uh, ancient Egypt prologue. He's just with Benny, the uh, ne'er-do-well uh, Egyptian character mm-hmm. played by our friend from Steel Magnolias. And they're just fighting Arabs. They're just fighting Middle Easterners. And he's with other Middle Easterners. It's not explained who anyone is in relation to anyone else. Why are we shooting people? My note here is, who are we shooting? And that, yeah. that, I never got an answer. It, actually, this first scene is very interesting because it felt like it was sort of tacked in after the fact. Yeah. Because he is, eventually, his entire squad that he was fighting with escapes. Benny, oh, Benny, you scoundrel. Um, he runs away and leaves Brendan Fraser sort of cornered by these... Other people, the other army, uh, who then run away because they see a mysterious thing. Well, Brendan Fraser releases the mummy. It's completely his fault. 
Well, not that, this, that was also that was confusing because right? he's, yeah, he does that later. But here, there's a shot of just like a face in the sand. Yeah. And then he wanders back to, I guess, Cairo. And then we're sort of reintroduced to him later. And he's got long hair. He's uh, been in prison. And kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been in prison for three years. There's like a time jump almost immediately after we just got from ancient Egypt. There's a three-year time jump. And when Rachel Weiss meets him, I'm going to keep calling her Rachel Weiss. When Rachel Weiss meets him, he's in prison. He has these long hair. And then there's sort of like a, a glow up scene later when they actually hire him. And it felt, I was a little confused because I was like, we already know what he looks like with his hair short because there's right. a prologue scene. So it felt like that first scene was like tacked on to add like an action beat. Or but it also need, makes no sense because the mummy's face appears to explain why Benny sand. exists or, or something. <laughs> right. I think they just wanted to add an action sequence because he also keeps referencing it. He references it a few times in the first few scenes where he's like, the only thing we found there was sand and blood. And I'm like, actually, it seemed like a kind of comical fight against nameless armies. It didn't seem that bad, honestly. I don't know. It just seemed kind of tacked in after the fact. Uh, Only watching it the second time, it seemed weird. We get to get introduced to Rachel Vice's character. I'm just going to keep calling her that. Rachel Weiss, uh, Rachel character, uh, Weiss. the the zoiciest librarian I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. She when she starts running, she runs in place for a few seconds and then she goes. <laughs> or she, she runs so fast that she leaves a cloud that looks exactly like her. Right. Confusing the mummy. In a comedy of errors, she <laughs> knocks over the entire library, which is set up in a circle for some reason. Yeah, all the bookshelves are set up in a, in a circle that she knocks down. Not unlike Domino's. What was the, what do you think the sort of narrative purpose of having her be kind of so, like kind of an idiot, a smart idiot, you know? What, what was, what was I trying, was it just trying to make her lovable or something? Because it, it felt really like, because I don't, I don't think she really continued that later. Is she kind of she didn't all of a sudden become... Although she does release a fucking mummy to terrorize all of Egypt for a minute. That's true. <laughs> Which is a maybe, maybe classic, classic klutz move. So I guess there it is. is we're, setting up, we're setting up a, this fucking idiot. <laughs> this fucking idiot. Uh, I will say, I kind of found her very charming. Well, okay, very is a strong word. I found her charming in this. Yes. Mostly because of the klutziness. It at least gave her some something... Something to do rather than just be a pretty lady, but also something yeah, to do other true. than just be like the exposition dump right. machine. Yeah. Uh, gave her a little bit of character and uh, it, it sort of, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone is really a strong character in this movie. She's somewhat developed and she does, although uh, she does become a kind of damsel in distress later, which is a little frustrating because not that she was like super capable of adventurer, but she was like kind of very strong willed and smart even though she was klutzy and maybe a little irresponsible with the sort of never <laughs> very ancient books well just like the ancient relics she's like burning like they're all like burning ancient maps i guess that was that guy did it on purpose though i guess like we later learned. yeah i think we were later realized but, he's, he's part of a secret society but rachel rice and her her brother are just like clumsy and really cavalier with all these ancient artifacts. Well, uh, yeah, that is true. But they're also, it's also the 20s. 
Which that's true. I, I took, that's true. I was like, and they're they colonialist shit. Yeah. yeah, they're colonialist uh, people in the 1920s, and there weren't just that's as good much point. regulation with archaeology. It was just like, here, toss these things around, these thousand-year-old keys and and uh, parchments and what have you. Touch them with your bare hands. Why wouldn't you? I guess uh, one of the <laughs> take other things- a shit on the cartouche. What do I care? <laughs> she uh, she is sort of a comic relief character, and there are a lot of comic relief characters in this. Yeah, which I think plays into why they chose to make her a sort of a klutz. Her brother, who kind of looks like if you left Benedict Cumberbatch out in the sun. <laughs> he shriveled a little bit. He's kind of like just a cavalier rich boy. He feels like he might be like sort of almost b- based on Nick Charles from uh, The Thin Man, just like sort of, mm. you know, a functioning alcoholic who doesn't really know what he's doing. And then you have Brendan Fraser, who uh, I is definitely, I mean, based on Indiana Jones, but almost like it, what if Indiana Jones was played by a whiny teenager? Uh, you've got Benny, who's this sniveling, uh, you know, greedy, opportunistic Egyptian character. You have the mummy, who was just a laugh riot, of course. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Uh, he was barely, barely sentient, it felt like. It felt like everyone was just sort of, like, f- in for the laughs. I feel like this... this. I don't know if it... I don't know if it was always so successful. It was like, okay, not everyone can be comic relief. Right. Without it actually turning into a comedy at some point. We do get some good, like, some some funny little character beats. Like, so there's, like, the warden of the prison that uh-huh. Brendan Fraser is in. He eventually lets, after trying to kill him, they, they get out, and then he comes along. And then there's a moment well, where... Well, he, uh, yeah, he was, um, that's Warden Gad Hassan. He's played by uh-huh. Omid Jolly, uh, who is a character actor I've seen in a few things, he comes along because basically to get Brendan Fraser released, Rachel right. Weiss promises him what, like twenty five percent of the the gold right. of this yeah. city. The city that they're headed towards is a mythical city that no one thinks exists, but is Imhotep. supposed to be home to a huge tre- treasure. Well, Imhotep's get... the mummy. No, him. Oh, yeah, what is it called? Him. Hamanabada. Yeah. But that we get this moment though when I don't know. I don't remember what he's tying up, but. Brendan Fraser's character is like tying something up and he keeps whipping like his, the, the uh, warden in the face with the rope, just like gently like hitting him with it. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was really funny actually. (laughs) Uh, He also gets a running gag where he sort of doesn't know what, what everyone should be doing. And so he'll ask Brendan Fraser or someone else and Brendan Fraser will give him the exact opposite instruct. Like when the boat is burning and he's like, what do we do? What do we do? I can't remember what Brendan Fraser says, but it's not jump off the boat, which Brendan Fraser He goes, I'll go get help. Stay here. I'll go get help. (laughs) And then when the the guy just sort of stands there for a minute and then he realizes he's been, uh, he's being mocked. Ooh, uh, guy who has a name. What is his name? Rick? Rick? Is it Rick? You mean the warden character? No, our main character. Oh, great. You you come with a lot of great questions. Rick O'Connell, yes. See, I definitely didn't just, have to look it up on IMDb. It's just such an iconic name. I, that's why I recalled it from the top of my head so quickly. Let's talk about this movie wears its heart on its sleeves, meaning its inspirations on its sleeve. I mean, of course, sure. it's, it's inspired by the Boris Karloff 30s edition, but it's also very much inspired by Indiana Jones. It has a very Indiana yes. Jones uh, vibe to it. But one of the things that kind of annoyed me is that one of the 
One of the things I love about Indiana Jones movies, and they have their problems, and I'll get into that when we start talking about the people of color in this movie, but one of the things I like about the Indiana Jones movies is that as an audience member, you're sort of going along on this adventure and getting the clues as Indiana Jones finds them and learning about the clues as he discovers them. In this movie, it just feels like people are just coming out of the woodwork and just like giving us clues and telling them what their significance is. After... What's her name? Knocks off all the uh, bookcases. She just goes into what appears to be some sort of uh, catacomb. There's a torchlit catacomb just off of the library she just right. destroyed, where her brother is hanging out in a sarcophagus with a corpse. Um, and he's like, "Hey, I found this in Thebes." And she's like, oh, my goodness, it's a key. And then it opens, and she's like, oh, my gosh, there's a parchment and a map inside this key. I'm like, wow, we're really just uh, getting these plot points right out of the way. And then later when they hire Brendan Fraser, there's a point where they're searching for the city, and he just sort of stops waiting for the sun to rise. And they're like, what are we doing here? And he's like, we're waiting for uh, the sun to show us the way. And then the sun rises, and the city just sort of appears, and I'm like, did we, was that something? Did, that we, was, uh, did they say that? Or is that a clue that I missed at some point in my was on two the map? Did you not see movie? the map? <laughs> you didn't pause the map while you were in the movie theater in 1999? <laughs> um, it was just like, okay, I mean, I guess this is kind of a cool idea, but it would have been cooler, I think, if you had sort of like left a little breadcrumb to, to learn about this. Right. Um, but instead it felt like they were like, what's an interesting way of finding a city that's not just having a city somewhere? What if we do some sort of CGI trick to make the city just suddenly appear? I don't know. That, that sort of thing got a little tiresome. It felt. Yeah, stupid. that's a good point. I, I was trying to actually pinpoint, and I think you've already done a better job than I did thinking about it. I was trying to pinpoint why, Indiana Jones, not all of them and not all parts of them, like, works better than this. Because you can't just be like, well, it's a classic and this one is, you know. Because it's like, well, why? Why why do I care about that character? And part of it is, like, you know, Harrison Ford. But also, I <laughs> think Harrison Ford's it's just much like, more charming than Brendan Fraser. <laughs> but you just see, I think that you have part of it there. Is that, like, he's kind of like, like, we love, we love Indiana Jones because he's he's brave. But we also love him because he's kind of cowardly and and also in in different ways he's like he he's craven but in a in a like brave way if that makes sense he like he's 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 in it for the money until he's not you know what i mean we kind of he's a multifaceted character but not a con not too contradicting you know what i mean where it makes sense that he's a person whereas rick is just like he's just swashbuckling his whole way through this movie and i actually don't really because he's kind of in it for some sort of reward he believes in he begins to believe in the mummy's curse immediately and then which understandably given the circumstances but then well with all the death and the mummies and stuff right but then he doesn't like do anything about that other than sort of like draw guns faster i guess and then (laughs) he does like begin to care about rachel weiss's character but I don't know. I it's I don't it, it doesn't quite sell it for me. And maybe it's cuz it's this is also not it's not supposed to be subtle. Like this this movie for all its uh faults does kind of know what it is. Is definitely stepping into the the goofiness, the cheesiness, the sort of like schlock, the they're definitely nodding to the the 30 when was the 30s mummy? Yeah, I think the 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 1930s when the Boris Karloff mummy came out. Mummy. The mummy. 
But I think we can agree that the mummy's right on about cats. Am I? <laughs> Stupid. They're Just cursed. this one weird fact about him that he hates cats. It's used like in one scene and then it's never brought up again. Just bring that um, cat with you when you go. What's yeah, going on? Or wear like a cat shirt, maybe. Also not, not important, but whose cat is that? Are we, is somebody feeding that cat? Is it okay? Yeah, I is guess it? it's the hotel's cat. Okay. All right. Okay. Guess you know, I feel, again, cats. like I chalked it up to the 1920s. <laughs> like, yeah, they probably would have had cats just roaming around. No, yeah. I agree with you on that. I think this movie knows knows sort of what it is. It definitely wants to be a little bit of a, a, a sort of a 90s Indiana Jones where it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's a lot of jokes, a lot of yeah. goof-em-ups. They don't even pretend to be, you know, there's an anachronistic langu- language. Or like slang and stuff. And they don't even pretend to like be speaking like they're in the 1920s, which I think is fine. Like I, yeah. it didn't bother me in the slightest, which I think Indiana Jones kind of does too. They don't. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree that I don't understand what Rick O'Connell's, I had trouble understanding what he was in it for. Is he just in it because he thinks Rachel Weiss is hot? I mean, they did obviously hire him to, because he found the city. Right. But it's like, what is your job, and why are you better than Benny? Aren't you both treasure hunters, and both aren't you both sort of opportunistic, you know, right. uh, sell swords, as they would say in Game of Thrones? <laughs> um, like, you're, you're, you're soldiers for hire or whatever. So I don't... I mean, he obviously has some sort of moral code that's stronger than Benny's, but I don't know if I get a full, like, understanding of what, what Rick O'Connell's... Uh, O'Connell? Yeah. O'Connell? Um, O'Connell? <laughs> what his deal is. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to keep comparing him to Indiana Jones, but Indiana Jones does have a good mix of, like, brave in that he throws himself into weird situations, but also cowardly in that he's not afraid to throw sand into in the eye of some Nazi right. he's fighting. Um, he's not like, I'm going to do a fair fight. Well, and, the, and to be fair, like, to, to not to, like, get away from the Indiana Jones con- comparison, uh, the director in a interview, like, gave the Errol Flynn comparison he was looking for like a swashbuckling kind of like yeah brave just because he's brave kind of thing which i think they they did sort of sort of get that they nailed it but like i want a little bit maybe i just want too much as far as like development i want to kind of like yeah believe that he's either sort of i, I don't know i just it didn't it just kind of was a little bit more it felt a little flat for me it felt a little like two-dimensional like he, um he, yeah, I mean, I uh, there are a few moments where like his his portrayal, like I said earlier, feels kind of like a whiny teenager. Uh, sometimes that yeah. like sarcasm sort of borders into Uh-oh. it doesn't like lead to a, a coherent character. Like there's a scene where you know the boat burns and they you know have to you know abandon ship and Brendan Fraser's party is on one side of the river and Benny's party is over here on the other side of the river, and Benny's sort of gloating that he got all the horses and and uh, equipment. There's sort of a, the writing isn't really bad, but Brendan Fraser's reading is, you're on the other side of the river. (laughs) I remember hearing that. I'm like, why are you saying it like that? (laughs) It just seems like you're taunting another basketball team. And there are just a few moments like that where I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. He just does not work for me. Like, what are you? And are you supposed to be charming? Because you ain't charming. You seem really kind of whiny and annoying. 
speaking of sports, I, I felt like the way that the there's like a zombie army that comes <laughs> as one of the plagues that the mummy is released, and they're they keep just chanting Imhotep's name, but like at they're at a baseball game. It's like Imhotep, Imhotep. We're supposed to be stamping on the bleachers. Yeah. And one of one guy's in the corner going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh, let's actually, you touched on something I did want to talk about that I thought it was weird. This almost feels like you, the writers were like, what do we know about ancient Egypt? We know they got pyramids. We know they got mummies. We yeah, know Beatles. about the 10 plagues of Exodus. And it's like, why would, why would the mummy release the 10 plagues of uh, the Judeo-Christian God that, that he released on Egypt? It just seems like, let's do this. This is something people think about when they think about Egypt. Let's just do the 10 plagues. And the plagues just, they just sort of run through act two. They're real quick. Yeah. Blink and you'll miss the sun, you know, sun eclipse. Um, I really, I really, they just blew, breeze right over the killing of the firstborn sons <laughs> for some reason in this, in this PG, in this blockbuster movie. popcorn movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, plus they, they alter the, the boils and lesions uh, plague to be, oh, and also mind control. I forgot. Right. To, right. Like, they have boils and lesions. Also he was a zombie army. Now he was inspired by, by the plagues, I think, you know, you know, it's like was, great artistry. Like you may not like Picasso as a person, right? But damn. If he doesn't do a great cubist painting, and you know, that's it was like what Imhotep was like, you know, it was like precious was based on the novel push by Sapphire, <laughs> but not, it wasn't like to the letter. <laughs> um, can we talk about the CGI? Are we there yet? Can we just talk oh, yeah, about we it? Can, oh, let's, let's go. I want to say, I, this is my favorite thing is that, uh, my first note about the CGI, there are many is that we know what the moon looks like the moon is cgi in this movie and it looks ludicrous it's yeah. like blue it's obviously just like clip art they paste it in there it's so bad i'm like just take a shot of the moon <laughs> you don't have to do that on this one save yourself you know uh, ten thousand bucks and just get a shot of the moon i feel like okay so just to zoom out for a second this was they like went hard for the CGI in this in this movie. I wrote, it was they, like they dug too greedily and too deep. <laughs> <laughs> they decided this is going to be a horror you know, a horror adventure very CGI heavy movie and they did that. So, kudos to you. You spent the money. Let me talk about what was good. Yeah. I thought Let's start there. Let's start with the positives. So when they discover Imhotep's body for the first time, he's like a juicy mummy. He's like an unbandaged <laughs> skeleton kind of thing. That mm -hmm. was scary when he was still like okay. immobile. Then he comes to life. Okay, it's a little less scary because he's walking around and it's a little janky. But I still think it was effective because you see him like basically he has to kill the people who opened his tomb, his sarcophagus, which is all the Americans that came with Benny. And the more he kills, the more he sort of, uh, he gets his body, he gets back. his, gets his body pieces back. Stella gets her body pieces back. Um, <laughs> and so you, yeah, like, so like before the last one, he's just got like a hole in the side of his cheek or something. Yeah. So that, okay. Even though like they are to say that was good is not correct, but that I liked that concept, and I think they did sort of like pull off what 
they were trying to do in terms of like, I got what they were saying. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got what they were saying. This mummy has no body parts. He needs them from them. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else I liked. What Did you have any other? Let me see here. Yeah. The wall mummies. Uh, so the at some point towards the end, just armies of mummies are coming out of everywhere. And Imhotep wakes up, wakes up his priests that we see at the very, very beginning. And they're all mummified too. And two of them are like, like, in like the Muppet, wall? Yeah, they're like Muppets in the labyrinth. They like are part of the wall <laughs> and they come out. I was like, oh, wall mummies. And then later some guards come out and I'm like, who are you guys? Well, they see, I thought they were the Pharaoh's guards. Why would they come to defend? Yeah, which doesn't make sense because eventually they do change, like, uh, who's the brother? Whatever the brother's name is. He gets the gold book, which is the better book. Um, and he, The book of life. There's the, the book, book of, of life. death and the book of life. He reads from it and eventually gets them under his control and they attack Imhotep. But wh- I'm not sure why they wouldn't originally be under, why they would originally be under Imhotep's power because they were like the Pharaoh's guards in the very Unless beginning. Unless he can just control whoever he wants. Yeah, I guess. I don't know what kind of fucking powers oh, they by gave By the this end, guy. they were just like, and more, more, more zombies, please. More mummies. Just Bring fight. in more mummies. And I mummies, imagine they please. just had just like a big, like one of those Z racks from a big, like uh, retail store, just full of mummies coming in. <laughs> Bring more out mummies. Your dead. I do want to say, you were talking about the mummy uh, when he comes back to life. I want to say he does have a nice ass on that mummy. Oh, yeah. Real mummies have curves. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you'd think that's one of the first things that would go. Right. Um, the butt. You know, because it's all fat. Uh, no, kept it. Kept it, it 3,000 years. Keeping it toy in the afterlife. Um, I think that's true of Imhotep in general. The he's keeping it toy. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. You um, see a lot of butt. You see a lot of Imhotep butt. Well, not a yeah, lot, but he, enough. A, uh, so Imhotep, who is played by not Billy Zane, that's what I had to keep reminding right. myself. Yes. Uh, throughout the the thing of this, I will say some of the CGI around sand is pretty good. I think, but. I mean, Imhotep, when he's, like, still working on, uh, you know, he's still, you know, still got his goals of, you know, getting tongues and eyes and, and et cetera. It's good to have goals. Um, you you want to see, good. look, you know, look, find your destination and work backwards. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Yeah. Visualize it. Yeah. Positive affirmations. Every time you wake up, every 3,000 years when you wake up, you want to say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish yeah. today. What are my goals and what am I doing to accomplish it? You just got to make time, make time for yourself in the morning, you know? <laughs> also, you know, don't undersell relaxation. I know we all got to hustle, mummy, but don't forget self-care is important. So he steals a poor man's eyes and a poor man's tongue, tounge, mm-hmm. as some might say, and it looks absolutely horrendous when he gets it into his body. It just looks... Yeah. Uh, it's just... I guess it drives me insane when these, these uh, turn-of-the-century movies... Just have someone who is, he's got two arms and two legs and a head, and they're like, let's do CGI. And I'm like, why don't you just do a man? Have you ever thought about doing like a man? It it drove me insane with uh, Jar Jar Binks. It drives me, I mean, it's even more annoying here because he's just a guy. Just... Why do you have to like create the whole thing? And then to have him stand, like there's a scene, a very fairly long scene with Benny... Uh, where the mummy and him are face to face in the same shot, and I'm like, "Ooh, you don't want to give me a reference." Don't do that. Movie. Don't, don't do that. give Real me a person. reference point for lighting, skin, how people move. It's just 
they really lean into it. And then when the, 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 just the mummy parade starts coming out at the end, I'm like, ah, right with this fucking shit. Uh, so many goddamn mummies. What do you think about the big mouth move that he does a lot? Uh, he opens uh, his mouth very, very wide and very in a bunch of different forms. It's like, like someone it. did a bunch of coke and you just went crazy with the Photoshop lasso tool. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, it's I, and it's just that sort of thing is just f- CGI for CGI's sake. Like, what right. if he opens his yeah. mouth real big and bees come out of it? And when he barks, he shoots bees at you. Uh, it's dumb. It's It just feels like they were given a giant sack of money and kind of like a nonprofit at the end of the fiscal year. They're like, shit, where are we going to put all this money? We got to... What if his mouth opens real big? Did you, did you think any of it was scary? Good? No. I not, like, um, not like not like really scary, but like... Ooh, that's that's pretty creepy. Thank you for asking. Still, my stay, stay by my original statement. No, I'm gonna uh, give I him. Think, I'm gonna give him a little bit, especially when he first comes to life. Maybe there's a few jump scares that might have been effective uh, in a yeah. dark theater, and I'm you know primed to see it. But uh, the CGI is just so distracting that it really hurts the scare factor. Oh yeah, I mean, Damon, I feel like they Damon, really, what were you doing in 1999? Thank you very much. I think we would have both known that I was really working to control my acne. Um, <laughs> and uh, really trying to get this heterosexuality off the ground. I really think I can nail it this <laughs> to be, summer. To be fair, so was I. <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> I do have a note here. It says, Imhotep's priests, sad. <laughs> Because I think that was actually one of the few times where they were like, we can't do CGI mummies here. Just get some guys in toilet paper. And they look much like that. It felt like the thriller video when the zombies just start, you know, creeping around. <laughs> but before they start doing the choreography, it just looked, it looked a shambles. You didn't get to the best part, guys. You got to do the dance. Oh, uh, you're just going to be, you know, stumbling around. I want to talk about my favorite character, uh, Winston, the uh, Royal Air Force pilot. Oh, I do want to talk about him. I also want to talk about Benny, and then we can move into, uh, you know, how uh, the native Egyptians are treated in this movie. Okay. Goody! So there's a, <laughs> there's a like, a drunken pilot that they meet at the bar, and they eventually hire him to fly them in to... To Hamanoptra. Hummel figurines, yeah. Hamanoptra. And he's just a light. That's all is just kind of like clearly like reliving his glory days and kind of always complaining about or kind of grousing about things. And then they hire him and he's like, what does this have to do with the Royal Air Force? And they're like, nothing. And he's like, ooh, just once an adventure and he dies. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of treated like the guy who's like been put on an outpost that's really boring. Nothing ever happens in Cairo, I guess. Yeah. And so he jumps at the opportunity to just fly anywhere for... Yeah. Anyone, and even strap two poor fucking saps onto his wings and fly, fly a biplane into a sandstorm. He does die. He's given a very long, slow, honorable death uh, in this movie. Into the that, as I will get to, uh, kills many people without much concern. But this person who's in two scenes and is a colonialist drunk gets <laughs> gets like a proper like Viking funeral practically. And I'm like. And it's very much at the time when in the movie when you're like, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Like, 
Come on, let's let's go. I get it. Yeah, that's sad that the old man was drunk and he died, but let's that's go. That's too bad. Let's go. <laughs> all right, everyone, pay your respects, but we got to get on the road. <laughs> and I hope all you peed. I'm not stopping again until we get to Hamanoptra. Hamanoptra. Let's talk about Benny. I want to say that Benny, uh, while is a white actor um, yeah. playing an Egyptian or some some guy with an accent. Um, yeah, it's not really uh, clear where, where Benny's from. He is sort of this weird mix of like comic relief and then like secondary antagonist. I don't yeah. know if the movie's exactly sure what they want to do with him. He does get a funny scene though when he's face to face with Imhotep for the first time and he holds up a crucifix uh, necklace and he starts, you know, praying to God to protect him and the mummy just keeps advancing on him and he just like reaches into his collar again and just pulls out a whole slew of ne- ne- necklaces yeah. with he's got all the number of, of uh, religious iconography on him. Eventually he, he uh, says some Hebrew and uh, Imhotep, rem- I guess, remembers that as the language of the slaves. And then I guess he probably is like, oh, yeah, how did they kill us uh, way back when? I might use that one, that old chestnut, those 10 chestnuts again. <laughs> or eight to nine of those chestnuts. Even Imhotep was like, I can't, I'm not going to kill a know. bunch of babies. What, yeah, that's, what the fuck is that about? Ouch. They don't Come have on. any choice in this. I what is wrong that. with you? No one would do um, that. <laughs> no fucking monster would do that. <laughs> So let's talk about, uh, so, you know, I touched on, uh, there's a white actor playing Benny, who is greedy, opportunistic, uh, betrays all his friends, pretty much the only Egyptian in this movie that, well, I guess aside from uh, the mysterious guy committee that just hangs out around yeah. Hamanatra to protect it, but do a really shitty job of it, I guess. Yeah. But uh, Benny is sort of the main Egyptian that we encounter, and he's terrible person. And then we meet these sort of good guys, these guys who are protecting Hamanoptra, but the movie kills them with abandon. And then when they finally join forces with Rick O'Connell at all, they seem kind of fine with them, even yeah. though many dozens of their men have been killed by this, this group of uh, white devils. And then the movie don't forget uh, the warden. The, we got the warden as well. Oh, the warden, who is consistently described as smelling bad, he also sexually assaults Rachel Weiss at one point, and he's prompt. He's the first guy killed, if if I'm remembering correctly, in the expedition at least. He uh, finds the scarab beetle and it goes yeah, under him, the, Roger Rabbit or uh, Bugs Bunny style, uh, yeah. and gets eaten from the inside out. I guess you shouldn't have been so lecherous, Egyptian man. And then this was the one that just really killed me, was during the Boils scene, and we all know that Boils make us uh, devoted to Hamana, uh, Imhotep, make us zombies. Then the movie's like, oh, they're zombies? I guess we can run them down with abandon. And uh, they're just yeah. driving yeah. cars through streets full of brown faces. It is, I mean... Uh, you know, we talked about Indiana Jones, and Indiana Jones has its own problems with dealing with the native peoples yes. of the places that Indiana Job- Jones is robbing, Absolutely. essentially. But it never felt as, and you know, people might disagree with me, but this feels taking particular glee in 
hurting uh, brown bodies and uh, sort of using stereotypes uh, for these characters. I mean, at least Indiana Jones had fucking Sala in two of those uh, two of those movies. That scene where they're driving cars through the zom- quote unquote zombies who are people with boils who are under <laughs> they are good under point. good are, point. They're just normal people with boils. Normal people with boils. We don't know anything about this curse. Whether they can come out from under this spell that. Uh, Imhotep has them under. We don't know any of that. And we had just come from a scene where Rachel Weiss was like, she, you know, they released this Rachel and uh, Rachel's character. I wish I could remember her name because it's not the no actress. No need. It's not the actress's uh, <laughs> fault. Rachel Weiss's character and, and Rick. Evelyn. Isn't her name Evelyn? Uh, Evie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Evelyn Carnahan. Evie, yeah. So Evie and Rick had like unleashed this terror upon the world. It's pretty much their fault. Exclusively. It is it is their fault. And and at one point Evie says, Well, yes, we need to like take care of this, but not at the cost of innocent lives. And then like it's like two scenes later, they're barreling down the street, just like knocking these people, presumably innocent people who are granted under mind and control, but we again we don't know anything about this curse. And right. I was just like, well, what about those people? It Why just felt like out? an excuse for the movie. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of scenes like this in plenty of movies, but this seemed particularly uncomfortable because they're nameless people. They're not, you know, people, you know, any characters we've been introduced to. They're just the people of Cairo that are just around this fort. And it's hard to just like take down that almost everyone in this movie uh, who is a white person is the heroes and uh, everyone else are the villains. Uh, They are the native Egyptians that the white people are uh, either colonizing or just, you know, stealing from in terms of taking their artifacts. Uh, Another scene I forgot was, and this is maybe sort of a meta scene, but taken as a whole, it still doesn't help matters. There's, you know, of course the, uh, the equivalent of Carrie Elway's Tornado Chasers, the other uh, archaeological <laughs> yeah, dig yeah. team who are trying to find stuff before uh, Rick O'Connell and and friends. And they uh, are about to open a cartouche or rock cartouche. thing. <laughs> a fiduciary cartouche. Don't be a douche and open the cartouche. <laughs> and they're like, ooh, let's open this. And then someone's like, oh, wait. You know what? There were a lot of traps that Seti the first would have laid. So why don't we just have some of the diggers do it? And so then they have these Egyptian men open mm. the cartouche, and of course they're immediately uh, scalded with acid. And we get this weird scene where like, ah! and then they fall down immediately. But don't worry, the drunk pilot gets a touching send off. This right, two right. scenes. Um, in fact, every white person who dies gets like this sweet send off. Uh, the the two guys that I call Tex and Tex, who are on the opposing team and eventually yeah. become friends with Brendan uh, Brendan Fraser, they get oh it's so sad that they've been overrun by zombies or you know sucked dry. Don't say sucked dry by immortal. <laughs> um, it's, it's been just, a long time. It's been a long three thousand years, Damon. You know, saw you on Grinder, which is different in 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 nineteen twenties Egypt. You it's just, just left. Like, a, you left a note in the sand, and someone else saw it. They'd know where to meet him. <laughs> it's just a, a Stupid. corn cob, and <laughs> hand owl uh, foot. <laughs> a couple of wavy yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah it's on one, just on it's one hand, taking it's particular like, glee. I feel like 
Yes, it is. And I think I think they, you know, at the time at least they would argue this is they're, you know, kind of nodding to the adventure stories of old and the original mummy, but it was like, yeah, that was a problem in those movies too. It's a problem in Indiana Jones. You can and, nod to that and and like also yes. you don't have to just nod to it. You can also then revise it. And right. I feel like I'm not trying to defend Indiana Jones too uh, too much, but there are like people of color who do help Indiana Jones. Right. Uh, at the very least, I mean, it's not it, I'm not saying, you know, the you know, it's basically just the guy from their the... fucking W.E.B. Du Bois, but I mean, they're making an effort <laughs> to like give these people some character, uh, whereas this is just like fuck them. It's basically only the the I, the guy in black. I don't actually remember his name. I don't. They don't give his name in this movie, but uh, they do, do they not give movies. him a name? No, he's in the credits. As I remember reading about this, like he's in the credits as his name, but he's oh. not in the. And I think he actually doesn't get named until the next movie. Oh, yeah. Ardeth Bay. The actor's name is Oded Fair. Ardeth Bay. Yeah. So it's basically only him as far as like a person of color who's like kind of an active participant. And he plays like this sort of like, I don't really understand his deal either because like their whole mission, his whole army is like he has a very small army of people that are like helping. Their like mission in life is to basically keep people from doing Homin- what they've Hominoptra. done Hominoptra <laughs> yeah. and from releasing this this mummy upon the world and they do a really bad job at all of it and but at, shortly after encountering Brendan Fraser's expedition they're like I respect you which I don't understand why even like, though they're why, the absolute worst other than he's the main character of the movie I don't understand why like what has he and done and he's killed many of your men yeah He's literally done the one thing that your job was to stop, and they're like, you know what? We're going to team up with you guys. Yeah. It was very, it's very strange. I was just going to say, my last note is, uh, this was just more of a small pet peeve with the movie uh, that I wanted to bring up. So if you wanted to keep talking about that, I won't, won't stop you. No, go, go ahead. Uh, this movie has, I feel like this is somewhat, this is almost the antithesis to the thing that you hate in movies where someone, you know, comes up with a really convoluted plan and they say it's the only way. It's the only way. This is, uh, at the end of the movie, Rachel Weisz is tied down olive oil style. Um, she's about to be stabbed and once, and once she's stabbed or something, uh, the movie literally explains once he does that, does that he will be invincible and there'll be no way to stop the mummy from doing his, uh, evil deeds. Like, Fucking his girlfriend, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like all he, do, all he wants to do is be with his girl. Just let him have it. And he's like raising the knife to stab her. And then just like Jonathan, the brother, walks in with the book of life. And instead of just like pushing the knife down into her chest, he's like, I better take care of this first. Right. I'm like, well, but if you stab her, that will be moot. Why don't you just movie? You don't lay the cards so that I can tell what the <laughs> trick is. That's all I'm at. I'm here for a dumb experience. But if you make it too dumb, I start to realize I'm here for a dumb experience. <laughs> Meet me halfway, movie. Speaking of experiences, uh, when you were in... Did you go to Universal Studios when you guys were in Florida? Oh, yeah. We went to Transphobia Land while we were there. Transphobia Land? A Harry Potter world. <laughs> oh, Yes. Did you go to the? Did oh, you the ride, mummy ride is actually the, the best thing that's ever it's, come out of the mummy. Movies. It's awesome. I, I, There's I, a I, fake ending. It's great. I forgot about it until Lauren was like, 
are you going to talk about the mummy ride? And I was like, oh shit, that was really fun. I forgot about that. that it's a room? very good ride. If you guys go to Universal Studios, highly recommend it. Surprisingly good ride. I, we were there and we were just sort of, we had already, we got there really early in the morning and we had sort of ridden the Harry Potter rides. And we were just sort of like looking what else we could do. And we saw the mummy ride and we we're like, well, this, I mean, <laughs> just seeing the mummy, I was like, what year is this? Why is there a mummy ride? Not even the updated Tom Cruise mummy, but this is just like Brendan Fraser mummy. And all the videos when you're in line are still like Brendan Fraser, obviously like contractually obligated to, you know, be in costume and do a video for the <laughs> Universal Studios ride. And I was like, this is going to be so dumb. Uh, and then we got, it was a re- actually one of the if not the best roller coaster at really the good. park. There's and the best moment is there's a fake ending where your car comes to a stop and they have this little fake like and they have a real exit sign saying up oh, this way please exit the cart but the cart doesn't move and then the ceiling catches fire and like the wall in front of you drops and you then there's like another minute of rolling and coasting for a bit. So great. It was really surprisingly good. And when we when it stopped, me and Tyler were like, that was much better than it had any right to be. <laughs> this is the <laughs> fucking mummy from 1999. Well, we're going to go to the verdict. We'll tell you what we think about the movie. But I can tell you right now, the ride was great. <laughs> That's my verdict. <laughs> and you can take that to Universal Studios, the bank of... Never mind. Damon. Damon. Yeah. yeah. What is your verdict? Thank you. Uh, no. Uh, your inner child <laughs> is an idiot. Uh, this movie is an, uh, how you say, not good. <laughs> it really, you know, doubles down on the CGI in a way that wasn't a great payoff, wasn't the best of investments uh, when it came to uh, mummification centered movies. <laughs> and also, it's fucking racist as fuck. <laughs> like, it's. It's uncomfortably, you know, using brown bodies as just like fucking cannon fodder to a point that even a white guy like myself cannot ignore. It is uncomfortable to watch. So, yeah, I'm going to have to say no. No to the mummy. He's got a great ass for a mummy. Yeah. A great ass for a person. Um, Shouldn't have to qualify it. But (laughs) this is no, no, no good. No thank you. No thank you. I couldn't possibly. This one's a little tough for me, actually, and surprisingly, because I agree with everything you said. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. 100%. That's all I want to hear. 100%. I have, no, I have no defense of any of that. However, because this movie like knows it's stupid and kind of leans into it, like there's a lot of like zoiksiness. It is very like even more old school than Indiana Jones in a lot of ways, even though it came out, you know. 13 years later or whatever. I don't remember when the first Indiana Jones came out. 83, maybe? Anyway. Um, yeah, I think 84, yeah. It, know, it knows what it is and is is kind of leaning into it. And so it's hard to be like, it depends on what kind of movie you think you're going into watching this. Like, if you think it's like a, a swashbuckling adventure with interesting characters, n- no. It is, a, it is a swashbuckling adventure. Not interesting characters, but it is it is it is very Swash stupid. Swash will be buckled. It is very but, stupid. Uh, characters will not yeah. be interesting. 
and it is racist in the way uh in that in the vein of a lot of these kinds of movies where yeah the any any person of color at all any like sort of quote unquote native of the area they're in in this case egypt are are just like yeah just total cannon fodder and it's and it's pretty disturbing and and sometimes but also like i i it was pretty fun I hate to say it. <laughs> not not the cannon fodder part, <laughs> but the just the Can general you add a adventure sentence between the cannon fodder line and the other line. <laughs> yeah, but also the movie was kind of fun, and so I'm trying to like uh, I'm trying to think of in the intro of, of this episode I I spoke about uh, my girlfriend at the time in college thought this was like her fav- one of her favorite movies, and I remember being like, what I don't I feel like I, I want to like speak to that. You know what I mean? It's like, if you watch, if this was like your favorite movie and you came back to it later, I don't think you're going to all of a sudden be like, this is, this holds up. This is great. I think it's going to be like, this is pretty stupid. But it's also like, we were old enough to know better. You know what I mean? By the time this came out, we were, you know, 17 years old or something. And how old were we? Yeah, 17. Uh, Yeah, we would have been 17 Um, or 18. So it's hard for me to go, I'm going to say your inner child is an idiot. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to side with you even though I do think it's there are there are fun moments and it doesn't it's not a movie that takes itself seriously so that makes it uh that makes it a little bit more fun but the, I think the the racist elements and the really 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 intense use of CGI just kind of puts it over the edge for me. So, what do you guys think? Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can call us for Texas, 615-576-0525. We want to thank uh, my friend Russ for the oh. use of his song Top of Two for our ad music. Damon? Yes. What, what were you, what I, was uh, all about? No, I just remembered I should open the patrons thing, but if for some reason oh, yeah, I felt the, do the need to do that audibly. Um, I'll let you take this this first one. <laughs> uh, of course, Hold we on. want to thank our. Oh. Uh, good, yeah. You want to do it? Good. <laughs> I can I can say things too. You know, yeah, you can. Uh, of course, we want to thank our patrons, uh, including uh, Doctor Malcolm's heaving bosom, a new patron. <laughs> Welcome. Just cause. Heather Tuggle. Tyler Richardson. Captain Jean Luc Picard. Scalphosaurus. Karen Curd. Lindsay Dell. Jonathan Day. The Zesty. Jacob Grimm. I'm gonna meet your energy. Particle Man. Damon's Australian accent. Dramatically placed hot dog. Risen Maestro. T Smith. Jeremy Palin. Kevin from Cleveland. His honor the mayor. Dan McIntyre. Oh, wait, hold on. I have to scroll down a little bit. Justin Shea. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Thank you all very, very much. We really appreciate it. If you want to support, like them, patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. Do you want to <laughs> list, do you want to list the, uh, the plagues of Exodus while we're, um, you know, the uh, yeah, of- I'd like to give this a shot. This reminds me of the date where I, uh, named the, uh, Supreme Court justices and he never uh, called me again. <laughs> Versus, um, <laughs> was this the guy that sniffed gas or was this a different guy? No, a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, 
Okay, so you got uh, Water into Blood. Great yeah. opener. Classic. Um, yeah, it's good. From Yahweh. Good it's opener. Good you want to start it's, strong. Yeah, it's, it's strong, but it's also like not the most serious one. You don't. You can't just come out the gate with the worst one, you know? Yeah, you, you don't want to start with killing kids. Right. You want to end with that. That's the. That's when you, everyone thought you, you left the stage and they're still clapping, and then you yeah. come back and kill everyone's firstborn child. You play your biggest hit. That's what you do. <laughs> killing people en masse. That is Yahweh's biggest hit. 